south of the Mason-Dixon. This is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan. This is episode 326, covering the week of September 19th through September 23rd, 2022. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, like our Gab page. Also, again, our Facebook page. If you just go out and look for at Abbeville Institute, you'll find it. Also, our YouTube page. YouTube page is invaluable. We have all kinds of great stuff up there. We'll talk about it again this week with a video that went up from our summer school. So you're going to want to get the YouTube page. It's free. Again, YouTube's free of charge. We got so much stuff out there. The Abbeville U videos, the lectures, the podcast, lots of great stuff. Uh, so go on out and get so just subscribe to the YouTube page. And you can support the Institute through the YouTube page. If you click on the little heart under the videos, the super thanks button, you can throw a donation our way just for watching it on YouTube. Of course, all that said, all these things that we do, the website, the Zoom conferences or webinars, the actual conferences we have, the all the material we do, the videos, all of this stuff is only possible because you contribute to the Institute. And it is tax deductible to the full extent of the law. So if you like the Institute and you like all these things, it all costs money. If you like our free mobile app, get that, by the way. Download the free mobile app so you can get the Institute on the go. That costs us money. Go to abbevilleacademy.org. Pick up some of these old Zoom webinars that we've done. Of course, it costs money to maintain that website. So all of this stuff costs money for us to do. We can't do any of these things without your financial support and your financial contributions. So please consider that tax deductible donation. Um, we, we can only do this with your help. Um, and you know, share our material around on social media. If you're listening to the podcast, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Leave a review. Comment on the YouTube uh, videos. Do everything you can to get more people interested in our mission and uh, what we're doing at the Institute because we are the only organization of this kind in America, right? I mean, the uh, the SCV is great. They do what they do. And there are other, uh, you know, organizations dedicated to the South in terms of Southern culture and tradition. But we're the only one that puts all of that stuff together. And we bring in people from a variety of different disciplines and fields to talk about these things. We talk about literature and stories. We talk about uh, a government. We talk about music. We talk about all the things that make the South the most important section in American history. That is our goal. So you have to contribute. If you got five bucks, we'll take it. If you if you just go to Amazon Smile and you make us our prefer your preferred 501c3 charity when you shop at Amazon, we get bucks off of that. We'll take it. We'll do whatever you can. We'll take whatever you can to help us in our mission to explore what's true and valuable in the Southern tradition. So get that mobile app. Get us on the go. Go to the website. Share the stuff around on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Gab, YouTube, wherever you got it. And uh, let people know that uh, we're, we're here, right? I mean, you can share it around your other social media platforms. Um, you know, MeWe or wherever else you're out there on social media. All right, well, let's talk about the material for the week. We had some really good stuff this week, I think. And, of course, it all the piece we ran on Wednesday is something that we know from somebody we normally wouldn't run something from. It's from The Federalist. And I was shocked by this piece. And it fits nicely with the last couple of things we talked about in the week, right? So um, the, the piece in The Federalist is um, is about the Arlington Confederate Monument that's now scheduled to be taken apart. 
Now, they're going to leave the granite part of the monument there, but they can take down the statue at the top, all of the reliefs around the monument. You're not even going to know what it's there for. This is the fullest expression of the culture war against the South. And again, the idea is that um, the, if we can just you know, expunge the South from America, and this is what the Straussians say too, if we can just get rid of the Southern thing, the Southern, the Southern problem in America, it's a problem. If we can get rid of the Southern problem, everything will go away. What, what, of course, people that have been bright have been saying since 2015 when this really began in earnest in the last, you know, last decade or so. We'd seen it before. Well, once you take down Confederate monuments, who do you think is next? Who's next? Is it Washington? Is it Jefferson? Is it Madison? Monroe? Of course they're next. Is it Lincoln? Now, I know what's funny about that is, you know, I saw the other day there was uh, one of these idiotic lefties was on Twitter saying, well, there was a statue of Lincoln. It was replaced. It was put back where it, where it belonged. Put back because people complained. I'm going to tell you, that's only going to last so long. And uh, there are lefties that love Lincoln because they think Lincoln is the fullest expression of what the left stands for. And actually, I would agree with them. I mean, Lincoln is a leftist. But um, the Lincoln statues will come down. Lincoln is going to come down because he was a racist. I mean, you know, John Logan, I've mentioned this on this on this podcast before, and we, of course we had we've had some discussion about it. John Logan, who was uh, the man that wrote the black exclusionary laws in Illinois, has two statues. Why is that happening? Well, because he wrote a book blaming the South and slavery for the war. So he was and he started, you know, uh, talking about uh, things that were very pro, very pro uh, integration and uh, this stuff, I mean, so he's now accepted as one of the good guys in American history, even though he wrote legislation that was uh, designed to keep blacks out of the state of Illinois. He wrote it. This is, this is John Logan, the guy that was the leader of the Grand Army of the Republic when the war is over. So where do we go from here? When you don't have any consistency or accountability, where do we go from here? But this piece by the Federalists is important because it's really a reconciliationist piece, and I was surprised that the Federalists published anything, but firstly from Davison, who wrote the piece, John Daniel Davison, who was, uh, I mean, a notorious anti-Southern writer. Notorious. And uh, Davison makes the case, and I think effectively makes the case, that, look, this monument was put up in 1914, because William McKinley, now McKinley had been dead by that point for over a decade, William McKinley, who was a Union veteran, had actually been shot at by Confederates, thought that there needed to be a monument in Arlington Cemetery to the Confederate dead that were there, over 400 of them, and also Ezekiel Moses, who designed the monument itself, who was Jewish, by the way, needed to have, I mean, he was buried there too. So this was a recognition of these people that had been, Killed, and this was a reconciliationist monument. Now, let me get some things straight about this, about reconciliation. Not all Northerners were on board with this. I was reading a piece that was published the other day, and I can't remember what journal it was in, but it was about a statue to Franklin Pierce in New Hampshire. Now, Pierce is the only president from New Hampshire. The, of course, the other famous son from New Hampshire in terms of American politics is Daniel Webster. But Pierce was president of the United States, and after the war was over, there was a push to have Pierce given a statue in New Hampshire at the state capitol 
honoring the only man that had ever been president of the United States from the state. And there was a lot of opposition to it. You know who was opposed to it? Well, the Grand Army of the Republic and all the Republicans in the legislature. The Democrats were 100% for it. The Republicans were against it. Why? Because they called Pierce a traitor and pro-Confederate and all these things. This is in the reconciliationist period. And one of the men who opposed the monument um, said on the floor that, well, if the South would put up monuments to Union soldiers, we can put up a monument in New Hampshire to Franklin Pierce. Now, I find that fascinating because, again, this is in the period of time when you do have this discussion of where should monuments go, who should they be up putting up for. The other thing that was fascinating to the, in the article is that this, this article was written after uh, David Blight's um, race and reunion. And in, it's been, it was written in the last decade. And th- there was one part of it where it said, look, we know that monuments were put up be- uh, because of race. And that was the only statement. There's no evidence for this, that this Pierce monument had anything to do with race. But I'm sure, I'm sure that this thing was put up because of race too. War is the evidence. There's none there. Nothing. Zero. Zip. Zip. It's not about race. This is in New Hampshire. But this monument was put up because of race. Now think about what's happened to historians. That was, that was almost obligatory. Well, I have to say this. I'm sure it's true. I don't have any evidence of it. But it was almost obligatory to say it. Or maybe it's just subconscious. They have to do it because this is what they're told. All these monuments are put up for race. It's all about race. Race, race, race. It's sad. It's sad, but this is where we are because of the current social and political environment in America. And so when you have someone like Davison at the Federalist write this piece, which, of course, a lot of Republicans read. The Federalist is one of the most popular websites for for the Republicans on on the Internet, right? I mean, it really is. Uh, And you have somebody write this. Well, that should that should get the attention of some of these dopes who voted for this stuff. Remember this commission that decided to, the renaming commission, if you've ever looked at the composition of the commission, it's a joke. It really is a joke. It's laughable. None of these people, I mean, are interested in real American history. None of them. And uh, it's it's sad what we have there. Uh, But this group came out and decided that all these things need to be renamed and all this stuff needed to be redone, and it's going to cost $62 million to do all this stuff. $62 million, well, that's, I mean, um, that's, as I said on my own podcast, and I didn't mean, I mean, it's a, I didn't say, said it to be funny, but it's a monumental waste of money. It is a waste of money. $62 million. Now, that's a drop in the bucket for what the general government spends now, but the war now is over reconciliation. There was a time when people thought reconciliation was not a bad idea. And there were certainly opponents to it then. I mean, this is something we have to understand. Uh, You can't just say that America was completely behind reconciliation. They weren't. There were people who were against it. There were people in the North who didn't want to have the South have anything. And essentially what's happened is that was generally Republican Party, by the way. And so this is why I've said before, if you put your faith in the Republican Party, you're bound to be disappointed because the Republican Party is what it has always been, which is a left-wing party. It, it always has been that. And so the Democrats, which you know, 
there were Democrats North and South were perfectly fine with monuments to. Uh, now, of course, McKinley was a Republican, by the way, but uh, he, he also had a Southern strategy. He, he loved the South. McKinley spent time in the South in 18, 1896 and said, look, I mean, I want to be your president too. And a lot of Southerners voted for McKinley. He was considered to be the conservative uh, against the left there. But um, the fact is, uh, Democrats, because they had a national majority, were able to do some of these things, put a monument like that in in Arlington or uh, in other prominent places. And we know that in the South, I mean, you weren't going to have monuments to Union soldiers in the South. That was the enemy. So they were going to put up the monument to their dead, to their people that had served and fought and died, and that was perfectly natural. This, it didn't, it didn't make any sense to do it another way. But now this is what's being taken down. It's, it's no longer the spirit of reconciliation. And Republicans across the United States looked at it like, okay, yeah, they can put up their monuments there. We should put up our monuments here, and they did. In the same time period, monument construction was at a height. Twenty-five years after the war, fifty years after the war. 75 years after the war, that's when people were doing it because that's when people were remembering and 100 years after the war, remembering the dead. Now, of course, what you're going to see is, well, it's all about Jim Crow. These are Jim Crow monuments. That's what you're starting to see now. Jim Crow monuments. What does it even mean? A Jim Crow monument. It doesn't mean anything. It's a completely ridiculous term. I mean, Jim Crow was around before the war, as C. Van Woodward has pointed out in his great book, The Strange Career of Jim Crow, which you should read, by the way. Jim Crow was around before the war, and, I mean, it was invented in Connecticut. So what does this even mean, Jim Crow monuments? We're talking about monuments that were put up uh, in, at a time when people were trying to remember the dead. This was a cataclysmic event. We, we take that for granted now because... We're so far removed from it, you know, 150 years plus. We're so far removed from it, we don't see the physical damage that people at the time saw 25 years later, where you can still see. I mean, there are still ruins out there, but they're not conspicuous anymore. But you could see the ruins then, and that was the families that were wrecked by this stuff, by this war. 25 years is not long at all when some of these monuments went up. 50 years. You still see the, the human cost of the war. It has nothing to do with Jim Crow. It's just stupid. And of course, the other thing is the, the, uh, the self-righteousness of these people. It's ridiculous. And this is what I like about Phil Lee's piece on Friday. John Reagan was right. So he begins the piece, he says, Texas Senator John Reagan was right when he argued in the chamber three months prior to the opening, uh, before the opening uh, Civil War sh uh, shots at Fort Sumter. He said, quote, suppose the people of the South would today voluntarily surrender $3 billion in slave property and send their slaves at their expense to the free states. Would you accept them as freedmen and citizens of your states? You dare not answer me that you would. You would fight us with all your energy and power for 20 years. It's the hypocrisy of all of this, right? So suppose I said, "All right, look, we're going to end it. We're just going to end slavery. We're going to we're going to send. We're going to we're going to wipe out three billion dollars worth of capital, and we're going to pay to send every slave to the north, to to a place that's supposedly better for them." Would you do it? And of course, the answer was, "Heck, no! They wouldn't do it. No, you got to keep them in the south. That's where they belong." 
This is the northern position. And Lee points out the hypocrisy in all of it. He talks about California and the exclude Chinese exclusionary laws and how there was tremendous racism in the, in the north and over you know not just uh, blacks but also Chinese and Indians. A lot of racism there. And this is overlooked. Now, I'll say this, the 1619 Project doesn't overlook it. They talk about it. That's their whole point. So this is systemic racism. This is their this is their argument. Everything is systemic. It's all built in. It's baked into the system. There aren't any non-racists in early American history. Well, I mean, in that in that case, they're pretty much right. right? I mean, look, the United States was uh, not interested in a uh, in an egalit- a racially egalitarian society at any time, up until you get to after the war, and even then, it was tenuous for a long period of time. But um, the fact is the right will try to downplay this uh, because they know that when uh, when 1619 Project or other leftists talk about this, they're scoring political points. So it's all about politics. It's all about power. But you have to be honest with what it was. I mean, I, th- I would actually argue that the Constitution was neutral. It was neutral on this issue. Now, the state constitutions were not, and they were explicit, and state legislation was not. It was explicit when it wanted to be uh, fall into line with a particular race or group. It did it all the time. But I like this piece because, as Phil Lee does, he often does, he points out all the stupidity and hypocrisy of the North. This is why we have things like Northern Studies articles at the Abbeville Institute, because it's important to show that uh, the attacks made on the South are attacks that are really made on America because there is no section in America when you create a false dichotomy there's no section in America that's uh, you know pro-black and anti-black they were all just what they were which is Americans in general in the 19th century 18th century didn't believe that blacks should be citizens and given equal access now I mean places where they were small a very small minority you had some of that what's interesting of course North in North Carolina blacks could vote up until the Constitution was amended or changed, a new convention was changed, blacks could vote in North Carolina. Now, did they vote in large numbers? Probably not, uh, but they could. Now, there's a great website out there, Slave North. I think it's slavenorth.org, I think it goes by. It might be slavenorth.com, I can't remember. But um, he goes through all the different northern states and northern laws, anti-black laws, pro-slavery, all of that stuff in the north. And I remember... Um, I communicated with the guy who put this up there. It's been up for years, a couple of decades now almost. And I said, look, I mean, this is amazing. This is good stuff. Um, And uh, he said, well, I was inspired by people like Clyde Wilson to do this because um, it needed to be said, right? We needed to have a website to counter this false dichotomy, counter this false narrative that the South was the, uh, the evil other and the North was the happy land of egalitarianism. It just doesn't work. Because of stuff like this. I mean, one of the things that's very important, I'll just give you an example. John Adams. When John Adams wrote the first constitution for Massachusetts, it was a pro-slavery constitution. That constitution was rejected not because it was pro-slavery, but because of other things in it. So he writes the second constitution. It's not pro-slavery, but uh, Massachusetts still had slaves, and it was took a court, right? The Massachusetts court system to abolish slavery in the state. Not the Constitution. It was ratified, still accepting slavery in Massachusetts. And we know, for example, slavery existed in New Jersey until December of 1865. 
because it was only abolished through the 13th Amendment. We know this, right? But and we know that um, Northerners, black Northerners were abused, mistreated uh, all the time. We know this too. So there's a lot to study in the North, and that's what I like about this piece by Phil Lee. It's Northern Studies. You know, here he's discussing California. So Phil Lee's a great... Um, Contributed to the Institute. He does his own thing. He's got his own YouTube channel, his own email list. So you should get on that too. Uh, so you can get his material on a regular basis. We also had a great piece on music on Monday by one of our resident scholars in Japan, John Marcourt. Give me that old time rebellion. This is a fantastic uh, review of Southern music. Um, and he talks about this, this uh, collection of, re or this record that was uh, produced in 1958 by Richard Bales and the National Gallery Orchestra. Think about that. The National Gallery Orchestra produced a rec record called The Confederacy. They also had one about the Union, too, but um, they had a record called The Confederacy, and it's it's rousing songs uh, like Dixie and the Yellow Rose of Texas. and um, I mean, it's great. The Bonnie Blue Flag. Great stuff. Can, it, can you imagine the National Gallery Orchestra doing this today? Well, of course not. 1958 was a long time ago. We're talking over 60 years ago. And um, that was a different world. Of course, 1958, we're getting on the eve of the centennial. It was a different world, and you could still play Dixie and think it's a fun song and not really be worried about being called all kinds of names. Heck, Lincoln loved Dixie. But... This is this shows you where we've gotten to. Even a Sweet Home Alabama is called you know racist. You can't play that anymore. That's racist. It's ridiculous. I mean, we are really in clown world. We're we're in, we're just in clown times. This clown world, um, and I don't know how we get out of some of this stuff. Other than we just keep doing things like this, and hopefully more and more people will get it, and they'll come around to the stupidity of all the things that are going on and realize it really is clown world. You know, but um, to have a major orchestra produce something like this, and it was—it's very, very, very popular. This this record was very popular, and people liked hearing it. Jack talks about the fact that he was on a radio program up in New York, and he he was the, the Dixie uh, the Dixie DJ, and and uh, they played Dixie played Dixie when he came on. Nobody nobody cared about that. We cared about that at all. I mean, he cared about the fact you played Dixie. That was that's the that's the song of the South, or you know, the Confederate flag. That's the Dixie flag. That just represents the South. We saw. I mean, Europe did this all the time. There were places in Ireland, for example, where they had Confederate flags, um, and there were Irish groups that modeled themselves. I mean, Dixie was in their name. They they loved the stuff. It was seen as a symbol of, of a regional identity that didn't have anything to do with race, but that had something to do with regionalism. And it was the regional flag of those people that lived in what used to be the Confederate States. So that's why I like this piece, because it does bring that part of this out, right? We have this period of time, 50s, 60s, 70s, when it was pretty cool to be Confederate, or to at least uh, you know be Southern and have this this uh, heritage, and you could go back to those things, it was cool, right? I mean, people people enjoyed that, but no longer. I mean, now it's 
it's seen as being backwards or some other nonsense. So great piece. Um, and then, of course, we have this piece by Sandy Mitchum, a Hispanic Confederate. This is something that people don't, don't realize here, right? I mean, that there were people fighting, fighting for the South that were not Anglo-Saxon Southerners. Uh, one of my favorite, there was an image of Sophia Loren's birthday was yesterday, day before, when, it, when I'm recording this podcast. It was this week. I can't remember the day. And uh, Sophia Loren is, there's a very famous and iconic image of her waving a Confederate battle flag. And somebody pointed out that, you know, um, Loren doesn't consider herself to be Italian. She's not an Italian nationalist. She is an Italian from a particular place in Italy. And a lot of those Italians didn't really like the centralization of Italy. And uh, particularly, you know, people like Garibaldi. And they ended up fighting for the Confederacy. And so it's not unheard of for an Italian to wave a Confederate flag because that would go back to their, you know, their heritage. Um, you had uh, people fighting for the Confederacy from, you know, Hispanic Confederates, as this piece says. And there was a, certainly a contention that you had Stan Wadey, the, the, uh, the great uh, Confederate general from the Cherokee. You had the, the sons of the Siamese twins fighting for the Confederacy. Uh, you did have other groups of people fighting for the Confederacy other than, again, Anglo-Saxon, which would be English Southerners, right? You did have Irish, you had other people. So I like this piece because it brings that out. And it brings out that there was something here besides race involved in this cause for independence. That people simply wanted independence. That was the first and foremost goal, was independence. And then everything else that came after that would just come after that. But we had the piece a few weeks back by uh, Tom Daniel on his ancestors who were emancipationists in Alabama, but yet they still fought for the Confederacy. Why? Because that was, I mean, that's, they had to, right? I mean, it was, that was their country. Alabama was their country. So I really like this piece. I think it's great. And uh, you should read this one too. And then Wrapping up the week was a was a lecture by yours truly from the summer school on the Southern constitutional tradition. Now, I gave this talk off the cuff. Uh, I, the original speaker was, was sick, and so I said I would do it that day. And I talk a lot about Calhoun in that particular piece. That's what the, the objective of the talk was supposed to be before I, I uh, got it. I talk about Calhoun because Calhoun is the most important political figure the South ever produced, even more important than Jefferson. Though Jefferson uh, and Calhoun, you know, Calhoun dining with Jefferson when he's, Jefferson's an old man, Calhoun's a young man. It did have a, a lasting impact on, on Calhoun. But look, words matter, definitions matter, these things matter. And so in this particular lecture, I talk about things like Federalists and Anti-Federalists and the Constitution, what that means and what do these, what do these terms mean Federalists and Anti-Federalists, how have they been distorted over time? This is all important stuff. And then I talk about Calhoun and what Calhoun said about uh, his positions. He was a conservative, and because he's a conservative, he's a states' rights man. This is an important statement. This is where all the conservatives miss things. As I talked about John Daniel Davison, um, who wrote this piece on Wednesday. I mean, this this is important stuff. Um. When you 
when you don't recognize the value of the Southern tradition in American conservatism, you lose. And a lot of the neocons and the Straussians don't. You look at, uh, you know, I, 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 look, Michael Anton, I'll just use him as an example. In his books, he writes a book, and one of his books, he talks, he's very critical of the South, and he says, well, I love the South, but I want to tell the South where they're wrong. Well, what does that sound like? Does that sound like somebody wants to understand the South? Somebody wants to understand the Southern tradition or the Southern people? No, it sounds like a Yankee. It sounds like an imperialist. I love you, but I'm going to tell you where you're wrong about all these things. And you shouldn't admire the people in your past. You should admire us or Victor Davis Hanson. The South is great because it's acting more like Puritans than anything else, more like Puritan, uh, Puritan farmers in uh, Massachusetts. The South is more like that now than it's ever been. And that's a great thing. We've made the South New England. And if we could just make the rest of the United States like the South, make the, the make America New England, well, everything would be great. Well, I think they already have made America New England. We've already got that. Right? So uh, this is why the Institute does exist, because there is that push from the left and also the right to make America New England. So anyways, good stuff this week. Uh, I don't want to steal my own thunder in the lecture, so I'm not going to talk more about it than that, but it does focus on Calhoun. You can go out there and get it on the website, or you can get it on the YouTube page. It's a great thing to do. Just get it on the YouTube page. That way you have it there. Uh, and all the other fantastic stuff we have at the Institute. But this is a great week. Um, be on the lookout, I will say, for a conference. We'll, we should be having one in October, the middle of October. It's going to be a little different kind of webinar. Uh, it's going to be a longer webinar. We're going to have multiple speakers, and it will be on a Friday during the day, I think. So uh, we want to be on the lookout in your email for that. Uh, we're going to be doing that. Instead of doing the Zoom webinar, the one-hour nighttime webinar in October, we're going to do this and uh, have multiple speakers. It should be a lot of fun. And the topic is going to be Robert E. Lee. I'm still waiting on some confirmation on who's going to, who's going to want to do it. But regardless... It's going to be a grand time, and we're definitely going to want you to be a part of that. So look out for that in the email. If you're not on our email list, you need to get on that. Just give us an email address at abbevilleinstitute.org, A-B-B-E-V-I-L-L-E, institute.org. You get a free ebook exploring the Southern tradition, plus you get in our email list. That's how we keep in contact with you. You get our daily dose of Dixie when we send it out and, uh, and uh, any announcements about forthcoming conferences and other things. So make sure you're on that email list so you can get the notification. All right. Until next time, good day.